This is CliffCentral.com. Fear's a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out a way to wrestle that fear to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. Multiplying leadership. Moving society the millennial way. But you don't want to win, end up going after goals and dreams and neglect yourself. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Tao. Platform. All right, welcome to another exciting episode of the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Dao. It is at Simply Bongani across all social media platforms, um, at Leadership Platform, at YLP Bloom um, as well across all social media platforms. And as per every week, you, you know the, the, the modus operandi of uh, YLP is to bring you um, the best, the most creative um, the most invigorating um, and innovative minds that uh, the world has given us or the world has to offer. Holy crap, how do I live <laughs> up to that? <laughs> and today's guest is, <laughs> he, 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 he's, he's one person that, you know, reading his book, which is what we're going to focus on, <sighs> he's one man, I think, using the word um, admiration does not begin <laughs> to explain um, what I'm what I'm what I'm feeling uh, post reading the book and, and and learning about his life and his 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 excellence his everything excellence and what I learned the most was aspiring for failure which is you know one of the opening statements that he that he opens with but you learn and, and understand what um, and how that plays out um, in, in in the interview and as well. Um, Quoting from excerpts from the book. His name, um, is none other than Nick Harry. Well, that's, that's short for, for your for, surname that which I is, do which, not want yeah, to butcher. Yeah. Which is, it's actually quite easy. It's Harolambus. 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 Yeah, that's me. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for taking the time out and, and, and hanging pleasure. with us at uh, YLP. You open up the, the book, which is called Do, Fail, Learn, Repeat, mm-hmm. which, which I encourage um, everyone that's listening to this podcast right now to go out and get and read, uh, especially if you're running a business. But holistically, if you're just running your life as a business as yep. well, there's so much that you can learn. You open up the book, uh, Nick, with um, saying things like you need to aspire for failure mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's start the conversation there, I guess. Yeah, I suppose uh, in terms of aiming for failure, um, I basically wrote this book because I'm tired of reading and I read a lot. I read two, two or three books a month. Sheesh. Um, I'm tired of reading about success. Okay. And I'm tired of reading about failure from people who have made it. Um, so I am not a wealthy guy, um, <laughs> yet. <laughs> and I say so in the book. I haven't made millions of dollars yet. Um, I've had some successes, but, um, mostly I've spent 15 years failing 
Sure. And I wanted to write a book about that. Um, it's basically called an, I've called it a business autobiography. So I wrote every word myself. Um, and I don't think that people frame failure correctly. Sure. I think we frame failure as an end point. It's a point yeah, where things yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it's a through point. Sure. It's, it's a point at which you have to get through to the next thing. Hmm. And to do that, I've kind of developed a system over the last 11 business failures and successes. <laughs> and it's just summed up in four words in the title, which is I do something. Okay. Then more than likely I fail. All right. Uh, then I try and learn what I could have done better. Sure. And then I do it again. And repeat that model over and over and over again until I succeed. And you, one, one of the interesting aspects, and I think what drew me into the book is you, you open with transparency and honesty and you speak about how you have, um, <clears throat> experienced a, uh, a sense of mental, uh, instability, depression amongst a lot of other emotions mm. and, as soon as I got to that part, mm. um, in, in the opening parts of the book, I felt at home. I was like, yep. okay, uh, this is my book. Um, I want to learn as much from this person mm, because, you. you know, that level of, of, of honesty, yeah. a lot of people that start businesses and, and become a success, which is relative, right? Mm. To, to, to perception do not want to speak about things like that. Yeah. But in the opening, um, uh, section of the book, that's what you choose to start with. Was that a deliberate choice? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've spoken to so many people who are full of shit that they want uh, everyone to think that they're amazing. The social media generation. Um, <laughs> curated only, lives. Yeah, yeah, curated lives. And for entrepreneurship, that's dangerous because it makes people think like that it's easy. And uh, this is not easy. It's hard and it's dark and it's difficult. And those are the good days. Um, and it's not to say that I don't love what I do. I sure, do. I love sure. what I do and there's nothing else I can do. But I decided to be transparent and honest because there aren't enough entrepreneurs who are. Mm, and mm, um, mm. in one of my big business failures slash successes, um, a company called MoTribe, sure, which we sold sure. to Mixit in 2012. Uh, if you're old enough to remember Mixit, <laughs> you're too, probably too That's young to listen to this phone. Uh, oh. to this phone. Sure. Um, so we sold and um, about six, uh, about 12 months before that, before selling, um, I had taken a salary cut. Um, we were retrenching staff. We were running out of money. We had like a month of money in the bank. Um, I was really sick and I was fat and I was unhealthy. Um, and one of my best friends and I had coffee and he said to me, how are you doing? And I was like, oh man, fuck, everything's amazing. Like, yeah, this is so good. And he was like, yeah, yeah, me too. And I thought, I was like, but Wait. this is my best friend. Why am I sure. lying? Sure. And I was like, dude, I, I lied. It's terrible. I'm so screwed. We have no money. I haven't paid myself a salary in six months. Sheesh. We are in trouble. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, thank goodness. Me too. <laughs> and the minute that I was honest, he was honest. Yeah. And there yeah, and then yeah. I decided that as far as it can get me, I need to be honest. Hmm. Um, because when you lie, other people feel the need to lie. Mm. And then it just bolsters up everyone's ego. And man, there's so much ego floating around. I've worked And you really never hard. learn, right? No, you don't learn if you're not honest. So I, I do believe I learn more from failure than success. Mm. Not everyone agrees with me. There are lots of big CEOs who believe they learn more from success than failure. One of the, the discovery CEO is one of them. Okay. Um, but for me, being retrospective on my failures re requires me to remove my ego and then analyze what I did and mm. go, okay, what could I have done better? Sure. Or what could have been done better by anyone? And then moving on. Hmm. And you learned this very early on because uh, I remember you um, looking at some of your high school experiences and how failing a test and you going through your mom and dad's divorce mm. and all those different things happening in your life at that particular point in time at once. And you looked at that media report and you said to, to yourself, well, 
this this is not the end. This yeah. is not the worst thing that could happen to me. Man, I wish that I thought that back then. But like when you're 17, or I was 18, um, and the story goes, the day before I started writing my matric prelims, sure. my parents told me they were going to get divorced. Hmm. The day before. It was a Sunday. It was winter in July. Sheesh. However many, 15 years ago. And um, there and then I knew that I was going to fail my prelims. I knew. I knew outright that there's no ways I was going to pass. I just, I didn't, some of the tests, I didn't even write stuff. I just wrote my name and then handed it in and moved on. I knew. Um, so even then I kind of didn't really fear failure. Sure. It's, it's sort of stupid confidence. I just always thought it would be okay. Um, but I didn't have the perspective then to go, oh, I have a solution. Sure. sure. I just didn't give a crap. I was like, oh, I'm just going to fail. <laughs> um, but then I didn't, I, I did fail, but it didn't end the world. And I mean, if you're listening and you can remember what it felt like about to write your prelims, like remember that anxiety yes, and that pain yes. and that stress. Everyone is telling you this is This is it. the most important thing. Yes, yes. And that's just not true. Nothing you do is the most important thing. So what I'm trying to tell people now, and I mean this very literally, um, I'm giving a talk to corporates. So if you're listening, book me um, <laughs> about how you can increase your ability to fail, I'm calling it your failability. Wow. So. Okay. Uh, the one thing I want to ask everyone who's listening is if you want to start something, go for that woman you're in love with or that guy you want to date or that promotion you're going for, or that job you want to apply for. Ask yourself one really simple question. If I do this, will it kill me? Hmm. And I mean that literally. Sure. If you don't succeed at doing this thing, will you die? Hmm. If you're going to die, then don't do it. If you aren't going to die, then what do you have to lose? Then go for it because every failure you will experience, you will get through. You will get through losing your house. You'll get through it because you've got to live somewhere. Sure. You'll get through not having a job because you'll find another one or you'll build your own business. You'll get through that heartbreak because you're going to find someone else to love. Hmm. So just go for it. If it literally won't kill you, end your life, sure. that's not failure. The only failure that you should be concerned with is when you die because then you don't get another chance. Wow. <laughs> Already, I mean, in the opening parts of the interview, yeah, you're dropping it. pearls of <laughs> I do my best. I do wisdom. my best. <laughs> Look, uh, there's, a, there's, there's many Greek jokes, but you resonate. <laughs> there are so many Greek jokes. <laughs> but you resonate with one. Yeah. Um, in, 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 in a, I guess, a, a game of soccer, mm. uh, when Greeks get a corner, they, they open up a, a cafe. A cafe. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, you, you pull that joke to make a, a reference to now a, a different part of your life where mm. your dad, um, well, your grandparents move uh, to South Africa mm. and, and, and you know, the culture of opening up businesses, right. Mm. Um, is already running, uh, in, in, in the DNA of the family. Yeah. What are some of the key, um, lessons did you learn, um, from your father's businesses? Yeah. I mean, I wish that my family had been more embracing of their entrepreneurial culture because they didn't want me to do any of this. They forced me to do science at school so I could, you know, get a proper job. Sure. Yeah, which I, I got 38% for science and nearly failed my matric because of science. Um, but what I learned from my family, mom, dad, uncle, grandparents is a simple word, resilience. They do not stop when they fail. And it's something that South African entrepreneurs genuinely struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, I, I need to actually find where I read the statistic, but I read recently that American entrepreneurs stop trying to build businesses after their third business. South Africans stop after their first. Wow. And that doesn't show resilience. That shows. And that's the difference, right? Potential weakness in your strength of will. Um, I, I'm resilient. I've, between the ages of 16 and 25, when I sold my first business, I had eight failures back to back to back to back Sheesh. to back. 
And I, I, sure, I went and got a job sometimes. But a normal person would have been broken by that. Well, and this is why I do talk very often, and it's very polarizing. A lot of people disagree with me, but I don't believe everyone should be an entrepreneur. I think that you are born an entrepreneur and you develop that skill, or you become one and you don't really develop that skill. Sure, sure. Um, and a lot of people don't like that because, you know, they think they want everyone to start a company. But mm, if everyone mm. starts companies, who's going to run, who's going to work in my company? I need people who don't want to run companies and have the stress. And, and let me make this also quite clear up front. Um, running your own business is not glamorous. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a mistake that a lot of people in corporate make. Sure. They think I'm earning a nice big salary. If I do this for myself, I'll earn a nice big salary, but I'll work from home. I'll have all my time. I won't all have All the employees. convenience in the world. And dude, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> if you want to go on holiday, stay at your corporate job. Sure. If you want to have weekends, stay at your corporate job. Sure. If you want to get a house, stay at your corporate job. Sure. If you want to go on dates, stay at your corporate job. If you want to build something that is different and unique and change the world and challenge yourself and push yourself and work for something bigger than yourself, then start a company. Hmm. But if you want an easy life, do not start a company. It's a, it's a challenging life. And I think that is a mistake that a lot of people make is they think it's easy when it's really not. And you, you point out as well that people need to start small. Mm. Um, and, and the importance of that. What, one other aspect that you, um, I guess, brought to light um, along the same passage was <clears throat> that competition in high school again, mm. where all of you started businesses, but you made a lot of money, mm. but there was that kid whose parents would drop McD's yeah. and he'd sell and he eventually won. Mm. But then you speak about something very important that your focus was misplaced. Yeah. You were focusing on that kid mm. instead of focusing on your business and how you were doing. Yeah. So why is it important for um, entrepreneurs to focus on competing with themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, business people and entrepreneurs and even in your career, even if you're not running your own business, sure. there's something really important that people misunderstand. I don't care if you've got a nicer house than me. Sure. I don't care if you worked until midnight. I, I don't care. I know what I need to do. Sure. And in my businesses, we don't worry about our competitors. We keep an eye on them occasionally, but I've got a strategy and I have to trust myself and my strategy that it's the best strategy that I can execute. Mm. If I start worrying about my competitor's strategy, then what happens to mine? My eyes off the ball. And then I think I'm always going to be one step behind his strategy because I only see his strategy when he executes when exactly. it. So then I'm already one step behind. Interesting. What you need to do is stick to your strategy. And this, like I say, applies to your job, your school. Don't worry about how long everyone else studies. Worry about whether you know the work or not. Hmm. Don't worry about the other guy going for a promotion. Worry about if you can get the promotion. If you're too worried about whatever everyone else is doing, you're already behind. You need to pick what you want and then go after that. Hmm. Like with relentless resilience, just try until you can't try anymore to get the thing you want not the thing someone else wants sure. or the way someone else wants to get it. Just do the thing you want to do. Everyone that I admire who's interesting and successful and unique and diabolical, they all go their own way. They don't follow other people's ways. Sure. So forget about what everyone else is doing and just do do yourself right. That's what you need to do. And I mean, at, at this point, it was the era of Alta Vista and a couple of other corporations <laughs> that I I'm knew old. nothing I'm old. about. <laughs> I'm old, yeah. But then Google emerged. Yeah. And then Google did Google, mm-hmm. and Google is Google today. Yeah. And I mean, look, let, let's be clear. Google was not the first search engine. Sure. Facebook sure, was not sure. the first social network. Exactly. Instagram was not the first image app. Sure. Uh, they're all copycats or seconds or thirds. What they did was they saw a gap and they stuck to their strategy. 
Google, when they came out, they had what they called the PageRank algorithm. They knew that that was the best way to do search. They didn't look at what Alta Vista was doing or what two cars were doing. And they were already there as well. That, well, they were, they were, they were the fifth or sixth search engine in the world. They just knew that the way they were going to do search was better than the way anyone else could do search. So they just ignored their competitors and built a search engine. It's really that simple. They just did what they thought they needed to do. Hmm. In, in, in section two, um, you, you, you start a band. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now, now you're moving into, into, into the adult life. Outside of business, what, what are some key um, lessons did you learn from starting a band, making friends, being in the university um, sphere as well, and, and, and learning to make friends, I guess, network and, mm. and all these different things? Yeah. Um, I uh, Firstly, yeah, i got to say, I don't think for me there is an outside of business. Okay. For me, everything's business. Okay. Um, I call it work-life integration. There is no work-life balance for me. I like working. I like building stuff. Um, so I think what I learned when I was at university um, studying journalism, which is pretty key, journalists have to talk to people and create networks and sure. uh, engage with people around them. So um, I quickly realized that the people in my res – played music and so did I and it's kind of how I made friends and then we all of a sudden got into a band and um, we started playing and we were okay and we kind of just forgot to market ourselves yeah so in that particular business which I consider them to be my really first business where we didn't make it we were we were on track to sign a record deal we'd started touring Uh, we were about to tour with Prime Circle at the time this was a long time ago (laughs) Uh, what 14 years ago yeah um, and we just kind of didn't market ourselves very well. We thought, well, if you've got good enough music, then everyone, everyone will find should you. gravitate to it. And that's it. just not the way it is. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine uh, races cars in Europe and he is a good racing driver and he's as good as anyone else. But he says to me, that's just what gets me in the car. Just being good gets me in the car. Once I'm in the car, I have to beat everyone. I have to work harder than everyone. I have to be fitter than everyone, more mentally stable than everyone. So the band taught me something similar. Having good music is not enough because why would anyone pick you over another band? Well, marketing and advertising and good customer service and all these things that I would learn later in life. Sure. So yeah, at university, I also learned to network. I, I mean, networking is one of the most valuable things I've ever realized. I'm really good at just building relationships with people and helping them to achieve what they want and then they help me to achieve what I want. Value exchange, right? Value exchange, exactly. Which it's not I, being I think, demanding. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Because because uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs come with their, their arms folded. They want, they want, they want, they want. Oh, but what can the person that's that's funding you really yep. get in return? And I mean, it's I hate saying this and it is a very South African culture because entrepreneurs that I've met in Europe and Asia and the US, they they grind and they get experience and they build stuff and then they ask... How can I help you? And then how can you give me money? South African entrepreneurs go, well, I can't start a business unless someone gives me money. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's kind of true, but also not really. Because sure. if you're a hungry entrepreneur, what I did with my sock company, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, we spent 5,000 rand building that business. Now everyone goes, oh, that's a lot of money. It isn't. Over two years, if you save 250 rand a month, you've got 5,000 rand. Hmm. Then you can start your business and then you turn that 5,000 rand into 10,000 rand. Once you've got 50,000 rand, you can come to me and say, hey, Nick, here's my traction. Here's what I've sold. Here's how we've grown. Here's what I've invested. Here's what I've invested myself, my time, my effort, my money. What can you help me with? Mm. Look at what I've done already. But if you've done nothing, I'm going to be like, well, go do something. Go build something. Mm. I mean, I built stuff from when I was 16. I learned how to code on my own. I learned how to design. I did stuff. I didn't just sit and watch TV. 
Like <laughs> I did stuff, and that's like key. everyone your age is doing. Man, TV's killing the world. <laughs> There's good TV out there, but man, TV's killing the world. Let's not get sidetracked. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. um, and, and, and at this point, you are starting, like, journalism for you is, is picking up. Mm-hmm. But you learned another valuable lesson, which I think you, you, you briefly touched on, which was the writing wasn't as important as Activate. Because everyone else as well was writing. Mm. But how well you you sold the paper, how well you created awareness mm. around your product yeah. was very key. Yeah. I mean, the, the major lesson from working at Activate, so Activate is the Grahamstown student newspaper um, that I worked on. I was the deputy editor at the time. Um, and I kind of learned that I like to manage people, but more, more than that, I like the business of media and the business of things. Um, and at one point we were negotiating with our production, the printers. Okay. Um, and they they knew I had no leverage. <laughs> and it's a funny thing. Only literally 15 years later would I learn um, a, a, a negotiation terminology called BATNA. BATNA, yeah. B-A-T-N-A, the best alternative to a negotiation agreement. Sure. And BATNA is really simple. Who is going to be worse off at the end of the negotiation? You or me. And let's use extreme cases. If you and I are negotiating and if you lose, you die. If I lose, <laughs> I lose a finger. Sure. I'm going to push harder because I know that if you lose, you die. Yeah. So you're going to give in first because so you, you don't want to die. Compromise. Yeah. So you have to compromise because sure. you're going to die. Exactly. And when I went in to negotiate with my printers, they knew that I had no leverage. I had no BATNA. They had the best alternative to the negotiation. So I said, I need cheaper printing. And she said, no. <laughs> and that was it. I was like, okay, then we that here. was the end of it because there were no other printers in Grahamstown. Sure. So I had nowhere else to go. We had no increased sales. We had no anything. We had no money. So she was like, nope. And that was it. And that was my first real intro to negotiation. So yeah, the newspapers sure. are interesting. And then, and then you, you jet off to, to Scotland. You, yeah. you try out yeah. photojournalism. What are some key lessons, um, uh, do you take or have you taken from there in retrospect? Yeah. So that's an interesting story. I, um, I was sitting and watching CNN because that's what you have to do when you're a journalist student. Sure. And um, I saw Bob Geldof on the screen shouting on the live TV and he started <laughs> swearing at everyone on live TV saying the F word. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I've got to go to wherever this guy is. Sure. So I didn't have a 21st birthday. I cashed out my check uh, from my parents and my savings and everything I could scraped together. And I flew to Edinburgh where the G8 summit was happening at sure. the time. And I had no plan. Like – I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. Um, I didn't know where I was going. didn't know how long I'd be there for. And made no money, took photos, came back. No one bought them. And that was the end of it. Like, that that was my trip. I, I, I wasn't a successful photojournalist. I thought, sure. oh, I'll just be there. And to tell you how old I am, like, give you some insights. That we, I was shooting on film back then. There was no Ooh. digital cameras. Like, you're shooting on film. Yeah. So that was my trip to Edinburgh. And, I mean, I think – I wouldn't do anything different and everyone says to me, oh, would you go back? Oh, hell yeah, I'd go back. It was awesome. I got beaten by riot police. I got <laughs> to hang out with protesters from all over the world. Like that experience, just living in the world, is really important for an entrepreneur. Mm. And I mean, it influenced a lot of the decisions going forward mm. because there were lessons, I mean, with some of the stuff that you've, you've, you've relayed right now to me. Yeah. Then you, you come back and a couple of months later, stuff starts happening. Student Wire mm. um, comes about. Take us through that journey now of building things, like you were saying. Yeah, so um, the way that I like to build things, uh, having looked back now, is I like to scratch an itch. So if I've got an itch that I can't scratch and no one else is scratching it for me, then I'm going to build that solution. So 
um, at Student Wire was around about 2003, four. Um, WordPress had just come out. Blogging was just becoming a thing. Um, so we decided that we should start a student news portal. Basically, the idea was we would talk to every journalism school in the country okay. and get them to give us news on a platform. And we would distribute that news through our website called StudentWire. There was a couple of flawed thoughts in that one. The first is students don't care about news. Okay. Uh, the second is students don't want to spend money on news. <laughs> and the third is the internet wasn't big enough to get enough traffic to buy ads. Sure. So we had no advertising, no students paying us, and we had no revenue model. Um, and on top of it, my f- co-founders uh, at the time wanted to make it an NGO or an NPO, and I'm a capitalist at heart. Um, <laughs> so an, anar- an anno- anarcho- anarchist, anarchist capitalist is, I think, the word. Okay. I don't care about rules and I want to make money. Sure. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of split and I took the project and tried to make it profitable. Sure. Yeah. And, I mean, out of that, we built a social network called DigSpot, which I knew you were coming to. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're going through the whole book. Listeners, please still buy the book. Um, so we built a social network. Um out of the back of that, sticking with the student thing. I mean, when you're sure. a student, all you want to do is build stuff for students. It's crazy. Um, and please realize students don't have money. There's no money in the student market. Wait, go, go to the companies, not to the students. Um, so we built a social network like the year after Facebook started. Okay. Um, we had built this website called DigSpot, which was a social network for people living in digs. Sure. And we raised money for it. And that was the first time I raised money. Um, raised about a hundred thousand rand from uh, an investment banker guy who a friend of mine knew, and three days later we gave the money back because we had absolutely no idea what to do with it. And I thought to myself, "Screw this! Let me rather give the money back than blow this guy's cash." <laughs> and so we gave the money back and we closed the business down, and that was it. Yeah, like done. In 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 the fundraising uh, process, mm. you speak about the fundraising uh, cycle, right? Mm. Um, fundraising growth. And, and you, you keep going. Before you even start approaching uh, VCs and, 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 and other people to fund you, mm. what are some of the key value propositions that you need to think about from, from whatever business that, you, that you're running before you take it to them? Yeah, I mean, I have a very simple approach to raising money now, having done it for the last 10 years. Profitable businesses raise money on better terms. So if you want to raise money, the chances are you'll have a better shot if you're profitable. Um, if you don't know what profitable means, Google it. But the short version, <laughs> the short, if you're listening to this, you have a business and you don't know what profit is, you've got problems. Um, the short version is you're making more money than you're spending. Um, so if you're profitable, you can approach uh, an investor. I mean, hell, you can approach a bank and go, hey, guys, I need a million rand for whatever. And the chances are they'll give you money. Mm. But if you're burning cash, if you have no users, if you have no growth, if you have no revenue model, then you're approaching an investor to bail you out. And investors don't want to bail you out. Normally, when you raise money from a venture capitalist, they want at least 10 times the money that they put in when they exit. Mm. So if they put in a million rand, they want 10 million rand. Usually, they want that in a five to 10-year cycle. If the prospect is bigger, they'll give you 15, 20 years. But then you're looking at a 15, 20, 25 times their money. So you you have to really think about whether you want money because a lot of businesses aren't high-growth, high-scale, high-risk businesses. A lot of businesses are cottage industry, mom-and-pop shops that are super profitable. Mm, and mm. happy and those businesses drive our economy sure those are the businesses that really keep families going and keep the economy running um it's the occasional business like vodacom that shoots the lights out and ends up employing five thousand people nationwide <laughs> sure those are literally one in a billion 
um, the chances are your business doesn't need money. And it's cool to want to raise money. Right now, I can tell you for free the advice I can give you. Your business doesn't need funding. Your business needs more sales. You need to get better at selling your product and making money, not raising money. Mm. There are some entrepreneurs I know who are careered fundraisers and they know how to raise money. I mean, lots of people would say I'm one of them. Um, but I'm shifting towards more importantly, <clears throat> making sales, being better at selling your product. Because no matter how much money you raise, if you have the wrong product and the wrong sales strategy, no one is going to buy from you. Mm. Mm. And genius does more than most um, is, is one of the key elements that you that you that you put up. Yeah, I didn't say it that well though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, because you you looked at at the life of uh, a couple of entrepreneurs, uh, some of of which you've met, uh, who are great people like mm. uh, Richard Branson and Elon Musk. Mm. So if if you know, I haven't met either of those, just to be clear. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 observing their lives, you you were looking at the element of how hard. They were working mm. compared to everyone else that was in business. In in in, in trying to make your business uh, profitable, which you you did get to with some of the businesses, um, like take us through some of um, the things you had to do. Your schedule on a random day, um, <laughs> building and trying to sell and and trying to balance everything and make everything work. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely no balance, and that's a problem. But uh, to, to try and it's such a big uh, elephant to eat. Um, I don't know if you've heard the saying, how do you eat an elephant? Sure. One bite at a time. Exactly. Um, so you have to have a strategy and you have to very clearly execute that strategy and not get distracted. Um, I've learned over the years, the best entrepreneurs I know say no a lot. Um, recently, I saw a tweet about Netflix. Uh, and the guy said, you know what Netflix hasn't built that I'm shocked that they haven't built? They haven't got any sports. On their platform oh. They haven't got Any user sharing On their platform So why can't you and I Watch the same show At the same time But in different locations Why can't we both sign on And then at the end Of the tweet This guy said You know what that's called Discipline Because they've built The thing that they needed To build to be successful They didn't get distracted with user sharing. They didn't get distracted with sports. They didn't get distracted with all these other features that everyone wants them to have. Hmm. And now they're the number one streaming platform in the world. Hmm. So the things that I've learned about being profitable is be viciously focused. You have to just be focused on the thing you're doing. Mm. But mm. most of mm. us get mm. distracted mm. and tired mm. and we don't want to work hard and we're like, ah, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just not oh, working yeah, for me and I'm yeah. just going to go to sleep or watch TV or whatever. And sure. the, the entrepreneurs you mentioned, the Bransons and Elon Musks and even the local entrepreneurs, Patrice Motsepe, I can tell you now for free that that guy, when he was building his business, wasn't watching Netflix and chilling. Mm. He was reading and working. And I'm not trying to promote the um, the thinking that you have to grind yourself into the ether. To sure, that, that's not true. Um, because what happens when there's someone who works harder than you? Someone who only needs two hours sleep. What you need is hard work when it's appropriate and a break when it's appropriate. You need to just do the thing you need to do. Just don't get distracted with the things you don't need to do. And the hard part is figuring out what it is you need to do. And for that, you need focus and you need a strategy and you need a vision and you need a lot of stuff. Like this is complex. So if it's your first shot at this, my advice is to start reading. Start with my book, um, but start reading. Read every book you can find. Um, a really great book that I'm talking about in conjunction with mine sure. is Shoe Dog. Uh, mm -hmm. It's the Phil Knight story mm -hmm. of how he mm -hmm. built Nike. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that guy, it's just that whole book is one of the I, best I books I've well. read. Sure. Um, I mean, it took him eight years of working on Nike part-time before he became full-time employed at his own company. He worked as an accountant for eight years before sure. he could do Nike full-time. If you listen to this and you have not done anything for eight years and ask yourself, how dedicated are you? 
because he was so dedicated that he worked part-time for eight years on one thing, not knowing if it was going to work. Wow. And look at what it is now. Resilience, man. And I've said it a lot. Resilience is such a key thing for entrepreneurs. You have to be resilient to the doubt and the shame and the pain and the sleepless nights. You just have to be resilient. You don't have to endure it. Sometimes you have to walk away, but you know, you have to be resilient. I guess this is, this is the kind of thinking and <clears throat> the kind of man sitting across from me that makes five million. Um, <laughs> <laughs> From a startup somewhere in his life, and no, we're not going to get into hope. that because no. we we <laughs> we want you to read the book and buy the book. But you you read something very interesting from um, Jason Fried, and he he says something very like it's 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 logic, it's mm. simple, right? But it gets to you. You don't lose money. I quote: "You don't lose money by making it. You lose money by spending too much of it." Close mm-hmm. quote. Mm-hmm. What? From 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 an entrepreneurial uh, point of view, we see a lot of entrepreneurs. As soon as they, part, they they go past break even and they start making just a bit of profit, they buy scooters, they you know their mm-hmm. tire as well changes. They start buying all these different luxury brands, or they just get big offices exactly. and hire more staff and do stupid stuff. Speak, speak to that. Yeah, I mean, look, I've done it and I do it, and it's hard to to not get wrapped up in that, but. Uh, it's it's such an obvious one when Jason Fried said it uh, on Twitter, and I, like I read that last year sometime. He's great if you don't follow him. Um, I've been in businesses, and Nick Harry, the stock company, is most recent where you have downturns. Sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't make money. Um, sure. But when you're not making money, you need to let go of your ego and make cuts. And one of my investors said to me, Nick, cut quick and cut deep. Don't don't be shy. Fire people. They need to be fired. It's them or your business. Hmm. And you got to pick. Hmm. It's not hmm. easy hmm. in South hmm. Africa hmm. to fire staff. You have to go through retrenchment processes and it costs a lot of money. Sure. But it's better than the bleed. And the business bleed can just kill you. And a lot of entrepreneurs, because you have to drink your own Kool-Aid, you think you can just sell your way out of the problem. Hmm. At some point, though, you have to be realistic and go, the easiest thing that I can control is my expenses. Sure. I can't control whether someone's going to buy my product. I can try to get them to buy it, but I can't control that. I can control my salary bill. I can control my rent. I can control the car I drive and the money I spend. So stop spending money. Hmm. The chances are if you stop spending money just to be break even, think about it. If you're making as much money as you're spending every month, your business can carry on forever. Hmm. It's really that simple. Most people don't understand how important break even is to your cash flow to everything if you get to that point by not spending your money then you'll have more money at the end of the month mm. and this is also just advice for life sure okay if you're young and you're thinking of buying a car don't don't buy a car it's the biggest money sink in the world go get the cheapest piece of crap car you can find that is safe you got to be safe <laughs> but if you're spending more than like a couple of thousand rand a month on a car, sure. you're wasting your money. Hmm. Houses, when you're in your 20s, don't buy a house. Save your money. Invest it. Compound interest will make you wealthy. Just save your money. Start something that can use its money to make more money. Cars do not help you make more money. So it applies to life as much as it applies to business. If you're in your 20s and you're thinking about buying a new jacket, stop and save that money. Or only buy that jacket when you have the exact amount that it costs to save. So if you can save the 2,000 rand for a jacket and buy the jacket, then go get a jacket. But save the 2,000 rand too. Hmm. But if you can't do that, then you don't need a jacket. 
Like, unless you're freezing, that's different. <laughs> but if you've got a good jacket, don't and buy another one. you get an alternative. Thrift as well. Exactly. Thrift and cheap. Like, we just think that we need what the world tells us to need. And we don't. We don't need those things. You don't need a fancy car. You need the car to get you from A to B if you want to build something. Mm. And again, this goes back to not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. Sure. Some people do want those cars. That's cool. but And, and they can get them, but and you just can, will not work it, out yet. Exactly. And you can go and get them and that's cool. But if you want to go and build a business that you own 100% of and you want to do it tomorrow and you're spending eight grand on a car, why don't you get a crappier car and spend six grand a month saving to build your business? Hmm. Like you can do those things. You don't have to carry on the way you're going. And most people just don't want to sacrifice. And, you know, that's their, their bag to carry. Hmm. Starting um, uh, Nick Harry socks, right? comes after a lot of businesses that have failed. Mm-hmm. You've learned a lot of lessons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in retrospect as well. And at this point now, you're thinking about the, the idea of fashion uh, and how it's portrayed uh, in the world. But typical of Nick, you want to change that around. You're wearing your socks. You're somewhere up Africa as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're taking a photo. You're putting that on Instagram. Nothing is concrete as yet. But you, you're experimenting with this. This is your side gig. This is your Phil Knight moment. Yeah, yeah. This is my side <laughs> hustle, yeah. Um, at, at, at this point, what, what are some of the highlights of um, your journey at this point in your life? Yeah, so around this time, I've just sold my business to Mixit. And um, I've started a consulting company. Mm-hmm. And we've got WeChat as a client. Um, we've got... Imperial as a client and I'm flying to Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria frequently up to Joburg. So I'm traveling once a week. Sure. And while I'm doing all this consulting and it's, it's big mobile network consulting. So I'm going in and doing deals at big mobile networks for social networks. Um, and while I'm doing all of this, I'm actually just building a sock company on the side and starting that business was interesting and fun. And we did it in a very unique way. We, took 5,000 rand, myself and my partner, mm-hmm. and we decided that we needed to build the business in six weeks and turn a profit in 30 days after that. And if we couldn't, we'd stop and we'd take another 5,000 rand and start another business hmm. and see if we could turn something into, turn 5,000 rand into something from nothing. And this was the first business we started was a sock company. And we took the 5,000 rand, built a website, uh, got a logo, made some samples of the socks. It's all manufactured in Cape Town. Um, I designed the website, the socks, the whole deal. And we launched and 10 days later, we'd sold like 600 pairs. Wow. And 5,000 rand had become 30,000 rand. Um, I leveraged partners and friends and got everyone I knew to retweet and share. And I like to say uh, when you're starting out, the first thing is FPFP, mm-hmm. friends pay full price. Your friends don't get a discount when you start. Your friends should support your businesses. If you're running a company right now and your mom and your dad and your uncle and your friends are asking you for a discount, <laughs> say no. Yeah. You need to make them pay full price. Sure. FP, FP, friends pay full price. And the other one is the three Fs. You got to sell to the three Fs, your friends, your family, and fools. Fools are people stupid enough to give you money so early on. <laughs> um, so that's what we did with Nick Harry. We, we started a company. We sold to our friends. And we made them pay full price and we told them to share it. And we just hustled and grinded. And, you know, that became something. And 5,000 Rand became 30,000 Rand. 30 became 100. And then we raised venture capital for the business. Mm-hmm. And we went from selling 4,000 pairs of socks uh, in, a, in our first year to selling 50,000 in our second year and to doing T-shirts, underwear, socks, scarves, ties, and having – three physical retail stores shipping all over the world. 
I feel like I'm listening to a Silicon Valley Oh, jeez, I story. wish, man. And, I and, wish. And, and, that, and it's problematic for me to think like that. Yeah. Because there's not so many stories that come from South Africa that, that become this. Yeah. Where, where are we going wrong in terms uh, of helping entrepreneurs, educating them, and, and, and just trying to start this... I don't, I don't know, um, vibe space that, you know, there is a lot of it happening, man. Um, we're, we're a bit behind, but there is a lot of it happening. I used to sit on the board of a, an organization called Silicon Cape. Mm-hmm. Um, they Vinnie tried, Lingham and them? Vinnie Lingham started it. Sure. Um, I mean, Vinnie's one of the great success stories of I our mean, country uh, from East London, went to school in East London. Now, uh, you know, it's got Silicon Valley startups all over the world. It's, it's amazing. Um, so I think that there is a lot going on, but that's on. where you hit it though. Well, I think, I don't know, that's, I, I, I'm not, I don't buy into the Silicon Valley thing anymore. Uh, the Silicon Valley thing is raise no, money. I mean, with the, with the, with the success. Well, yeah, again, I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting to that, right? Like, I think success, this book about failure, um, has made me really rethink what people call success. Okay. Um, and it's personal for everyone. And unfortunately, what we all fall into, and I spoke to a guy at one of my book launches on Tuesday. Um, he said to me, you know, I thought I was going to have a Porsche when I was 30. And I was like, dude, do you really want a Porsche? Like, that's what you think is success. Why is that a goal? <laughs> yeah, why? Why? And I said to him, why did you make that a goal? He said, well, I, I promised my dad that I'd be successful and have a Porsche by the time I was 30. And I was like, dude, do you think your dad gives a rock if you drive a Porsche? And he was like, no. I said, well, then maybe you should rethink what success is. So I've never met a, a, anyone that I would regard as successful who says, yes, I'm a success. Sure, sure. All the successful people I know, Vinnie Lingham included, he will say to me, no, there's still more to build. There's still more to do. I'm not successful. I've got mm. more to do. Mm. Yeah, he's had success, but he is not in his own eyes successful because success is a step up a ladder and you just get to the next step. Elon Musk does not think of himself as a success. He thinks of himself as someone building something that he needs to do. I need to send people to Mars, so I'm going to build a space company. He's not a success in his eyes. And we just think that there are these things that we have to achieve that makes us successful. And it's just not true. I can tell you for free, when you get a nice car, you're going to want a nicer one. When of you course. get a big house, you're going to want a bigger and one. And it's a trap. So for me, the trap, I've removed the trap. And for me, the definition of success is having the freedom and the time to work on the things you want to work on. Mm. That's it. It's simple. And think about that. When you achieve that, then the success is, I get to work on the stuff I want to work on. Mm, mm, and that's cool. Mm. Then I'm like, oh, I'm fulfilled. I get to work on the stuff I want to work on. You're done. Yeah. Then you're like, cool, I get to do work now. Sure. Because sure. like I said earlier, I don't believe work is something I need to get away from. It's something I need to build into my life. I don't want to get away from work at five past five every day. I want my partner to pull me away from my laptop so we have to go to walk, work the dogs. I don't want to not work. Mm. And I want to build that into my life. So think about what your definition of success is. If it is a big house, that is absolutely cool. I can work towards that, mm-hmm. but just be prepared for the fact that when you get that big house, you're going to want a nice pool mm. or you're going to want a bigger house or something. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely okay if you, your goal is to have a family and a house and somewhere safe to live. Those are great goals. Just really think about if it is what you want with your life. Hmm. And it's crazy because you, you, you think about it, all these material <clears throat> um, acquisitions, mm. they come with a lot of pain. A lot of doing what you don't even love. So it's like, what's the point of being in a Porsche and you're depressed and you know, you're unfulfilled, you, you're just discontent and you're just angry to or go to work. Let's even be simpler about it, right? Two great examples. Let's say you buy that car. You can afford it and you buy it and then someone dings it. Ooh. Now you've got to spend another 10 grand fixing it and you're going to be pissed off for the next day. <laughs> and then you've got to like get it. Then the other good example is you want a five bedroom house. <laughs> 
you get that five bedroom house. Sure. Do you know what you spend your Saturdays and Sundays doing? Cleaning that big house. <laughs> I don't want to do that with my time. Again, my time is the thing that I use as my success metric. Sure. If I have to clean a house for five hours every weekend, that's a waste of my time. Sure. So I don't want a big house. I want a, a little house with one bed. We have one bed, one table, two chairs, one couch, so that I don't have to waste my time cleaning stuff. I'm not acquiring things because I want to work on things. I want to build things. I want to acquire things. And I want to travel. Like one of my success metrics is travel. So what do I need to do to be able to travel as often and frequently and wherever I want to? Mm -hmm. Well, I need to have less stuff. Sure. Because you can't move with stuff. Of course. So we have less stuff. And, you know, we need to put ourselves in a position where we can save money to travel. And again, it's what is your end goal? What does your success look like for you? What's the next rung of success for you? Mm. Let's get into the Nick Harry uh, business, Mm. right? Um, You open up stores, um, Cape Town, um, Rosebank, Pretoria, and and, and now everything is growing. You, You have to employ people. Now you are, you're talking about, there's, there's, there's a couple of lessons or statements as so well. So many lessons, yeah. <laughs> um, that come in here, right? Mm. Um, I quote, know your subject matter, understand the competitive landscape, be honest, know what you need, do not expect it to go well. Mm. When, 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 when are you learning all of this? Well, I- I think I'm constantly learning all of this. Um, I've gotten very good at uh, analyzing day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter, year-to-year, sure. and going, well, what worked and what didn't. Um, and at Nick Harry, when we started almost six years ago, five and a half years ago, we were one of the first in the market in South Africa to bring in loud, bold, colorful socks. Sure. We were the first to make them out of bamboo fiber. Hmm. Um, and then two or three years in, uh, the market exploded and we opened up the market for our competitors and we had competitors coming in and my staff would say to me, what are we going to do? This person's copying us. Literally, we've got competitors of ours who copy our sock designs and then put them in the market. Hmm. Um, and my response is similar to what I told you earlier. Forget about them. Know that they're there, but forget they're about them. Yeah, just focus on your strategy. We've got a strategy. Some of them have shut down. Like we just keep doing our thing. Um, but it's been, it's been tough. I mean, South Africa is a very tough space right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not the analysts agree, we're in a recession. And I can tell you that because people are not putting their money, uh, for my pair of socks. They're not spending money on expensive wines. The malls are empty. The stores are closing down nationwide. Um, there's Stutterford's 100 year old business just tanked. <clears throat> but in fairness, their problems were bigger than the industry. Their problems they saw coming and they just ignored them. Um, but like stores like Edcon are suffering and trying to rebuild. Um, everyone's share prices are down. Retail trends are down. Sure. So we, we didn't notice that. Stupidly. Um, we opened our first store and we paid back our investment in that first store in three months. Then we opened our second store and we paid back the investment in that store in two months. Hmm. Um, so we were like, yeah, we're onto something. And we, we started opening stores. We opened a store every three and a half months for 18 months. So we opened five stores in just over a year uh, in three provinces, two provinces, three cities. Um, and I was traveling once a week up and down Joburg, Cape Town, Pretoria, Joburg, Cape Town, Pretoria. And after exactly 12 months of opening the Menland and Tiger Valley stores, we closed them. Hmm. And we had to retrench 10 or 12 people in the space of a year. So we went from an, a staff of four to a staff of 20 odd people. Then we went from a staff of 24 to a staff of 12, hmm. all in the space of 18 months. Um, and that's when you're learning. Sure, right? is when sure, you're, you're, sure. you're knee deep in it. Sure. And uh, the mud is dragging you down. 
and you're in it. And I mean, I think we blew more than a million rand opening and closing stores in the mm. space of 12 months, just like that. Um, because we got, we picked a strategy and it was wrong. Let's reflect on those numbers. Mm. What, what, what lessons can we, can we, can we don't open physical stores? Don't open physical stores. If you do have to open a physical store, do it as cheaply as possible. We got trapped in the, oh, it must look amazing because in retail, people will see your floor and then it needs to be a really nice floor. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I think one of the floors in our stores cost us 60 grand. Sheesh. Just the floors. You know what people do with floors? They walk on them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't buy them. Um, so we, we got caught in that trap of ego. It must look good. It must feel good. When actually we could have had plaster on the floor, plaster on the walls and just the bold, colorful socks. Mm. So we got stuck in that trap of spend money to open stores you spend money on leases the landlords in this country are an abomination they are out to screw small business mm. uh, if you're a landlord and you're listening to this call, call me and challenge me I'm, I'm keen <laughs> to hear your views um, and that cost me a lot of money getting out of leases getting into leases cost you money because you need lawyers you need deposits um, we needed on on a 45,000 rand rent a month, you need three months rent as a deposit. Sheesh. And then most of them will try and get you to sign personal surety, which means you're responsible for the money if everything goes belly up. So you need 140,000 rand sure. just to get a lease. <laughs> then you need another 100 or 200,000 rand just to open the store. Sure. By the way, if you're closing a store, you also need to hire someone to break down the store. And that's going to cost you another Oof. 40 grand. So just to open and close stores, you need half a million rand, just in case, just in case things go bad. So if you're opening five stores, you need two million rand, give or yeah, take. Yeah. So there you go. There's the numbers, man. Never mind the staff, the stock, the returns, the marketing, the advertising, the travel. Like you don't think about all these knock-on costs when you're like, yeah, the first two work. Let's go and open some more. And then the economy tanks and we go into a recession and retail's dying and digital is coming and – then the market shifts. Would you have done things differently now? Yeah, definitely. I think um, we opened too quickly. I got caught up in the strategy and the excitement and the Silicon Valley approach to business. Ooh, let's, oh, raise, okay. let's raise money and let's just growth. grow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Growth for the sake of growth is stupid. You don't need to grow just because you need to grow. You need to grow if it makes sense. And we were growing. We had low overheads, lean expenses, and then we got two stores, and then we got three stores, and four stores, and five stores. And with every store comes three new staff, and complication, and distraction, because you have to manage 25 staff, Mm. and six months ago, Mm. you only had to manage 10 staff. All those things detriment your business. So looking back, what I would have done differently is slow down. It just would have slowed down. If we'd waited six months between opening our stores, we would have seen that there was a recession and we only would have opened one bad store instead sure. of two. Sure. And that would have saved us a lot of money. Hmm. But you live, you learn. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Like I said, failure is a through <laughs> point, not an end point. Sure. Yeah. And, but what are some of the milestones, though, that you feel you've achieved with um, Nick Harry from inception to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be really proud of and impressed with. Um, we started with three sock designs. Now we have printed more than a couple of hundred different sock designs. We started with just socks. Now we do socks, t-shirts, underwear, a whole bunch of other stuff. We started with 5,000 Rand and now we're a multi-million Rand business um, all in five years. So there is lots to be proud of. We, the most the thing I'm most proud of is we've worked towards being break even after having a really bad 18 months sure. of losing money. Sure. And I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this and going, oh, Nick's proud because he's break even. If you're a real business person, you're like, well done. Dude. You understand. Well done. You're you break even. Go for it. And those <laughs> things are hard to get to, sure. um, especially through winter months and tough times. Um, 
I'm talking to a lot of businesses right now who are struggling, whether it's in restaurants, retail, cryptocurrency, where everyone is struggling. So I, what I've tweeted recently is just do what you can do. Like it's hard out there. Like keep yourself afloat. Cut where you need to cut. Just make it through the winter and, you know, it'll get better. Hmm. Maybe it won't and then you close down, but so be it. Then you learn a lesson. I'm, 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 I'm an avid reader myself. And what, what I enjoyed doing was, well, at, at a point in time, it was uh, reading uh, entrepreneur, Entrepreneurship Magazine. Mm. And you, you had a column there. Yeah. And you contributed a lot. And I think I used to skim through the magazine and just look at some of the stuff that you wrote. Thank you. Um, one, of, one of the things that you, you spoke about um, in, in your business, you looked at the interior as you looked at the internet. Mm-hmm. So in, on, 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 when you were coding, you could swap things around, move things around. Mm. And that's the same strategy that you applied in, in your stores. In stores yeah. What are some of, you know, solutions, um, that, that we, we, we can think about to change the face of retail mm. and, and to try and, and make it work? Um, this is going to be a really boring answer, but in South Africa to change the face of retail, we need to start offering better customer service. Like that's it. We all try and overthink it. We need new technology. We need a new point of sale. We need a new rewards card. You don't. What you need is better customer service. You need to treat your customers like they're paying you money because they are paying you money. So be nicer to them. (laughs) Be friendlier. Be more helpful. If I walk into your store, greet me. And if you are listening to this and you walk into my stores and my staff don't greet you, shout at them. If they're on their phones, shout at them. Like they know what they should be doing. And if they're not doing it, it's because they're lazy. So you just need to give better customer service. And that is a unique selling point. Mm, In mm, our mm. business, we put the customer at the front of our business and in the middle of our business. Uh, There's a a company called Zappos in America. Mm -hmm. They're a shoe company that was bought by Amazon and their CEO, Tony Shea, he um, coined the phrase, we are a customer service business that happens to sell shoes. And I wish that every business would think that. Imagine if Absa was like, we don't care about a new logo. We're a customer service business that happens to store your money. <laughs> but they don't. They're not like that. They're blowing your transaction fees on a new logo because they think it's going to make them <laughs> a better brand. A new logo, my friend Rich Mulholland, he tweeted today, a new logo doesn't make you a new brand. You know what I think is going to make you a new brand? Mm-hmm. Better customer service. Just treat your customers better because they're the ones hardworking for their money and then giving you their money and then you treat them like crap. So that's what we did. That's what how we changed retail is we just gave better customer service than anyone else I know. Mm. And that made a difference. Wow. What's next? <sighs> that's a big question. It is a big um, question. You what's could... next in the world? I think the <laughs> <laughs> No, really, this this ties in. I think the most interesting thing that I can see right now is cryptocurrency. Okay. Bitcoin blockchain technology. Would you would you say that's a good Investment? Uh, I'm not an advi- investment advisor, so I refrain <laughs> from saying things like that. Um, what I would say is learning about it is a good investment in oh, your time. Okay. Okay. Like, take the time to understand what blockchain is, what Bitcoin is, what cryptocurrency is, and how they're going to change the world because unequivocally they're going to change the world. If you've ever heard about the dot-com boom that happened in 2000, 2000 sure. and you feel like mm-hmm. you missed out – this is the thing to come back to because if you're not focusing on blockchain technology now, you're going to miss out in 10 years. Sure. So I'm, I'm paying attention to what it's doing and I'm curious about this space. So um, I think that's where my time should be. Okay. What's next for Nick Harry Socks mm-hmm. before I come back to what's that? What's next for Nick Harry Socks? We, we're stabilizing. Okay. So we've had a rough 18 months of opening and closing stores, spending money we, we shouldn't have spent, um, hiring and firing, and that's all a trauma. 
So uh, I'm giving a talk at the moment about corporate failing, and there is something that I've discovered called post-traumatic growth. Um, and if you look at failure as trauma, which it is, when you fail, it's trauma. It hurts you. You've suffered something. Um, what happens with post-traumatic growth is there's scientific research being done that once you've suffered a trauma, generally there are five different parts of your life that could get better. Your relationships, your work ethic, your view on the world, whatever. But something gets better. Mm. So at Nick Harry, we're trying to figure out what the better is. So we're stabilizing. We're making sure we break even and moving towards profitability uh, again. And we're trying to grow the things we're good at. And we're just stabilizing. And if you're a retail business in South Africa and you're killing it, then now's a good time to be growing because you can afford to grow. And if you've just come out of a bad time, now's a good time to be stabilizing and renegotiate your leases. And like, so we're trying to just keep stable. Mm. The 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 dot com, mm. um, you know, blogging and and everything is is a, is a thing now, and there's young nicks right mm. who are journalists in in their own rights and they're writing and they're trying to build these businesses out of these blogs. Um, what what kind of advice would you give to them? Because there's a, there's a part in the book where there's certain elements about it that you discourage, um, because it, it even goes on to get a job. Mm. Right, mm. but how can someone in that sphere in the digital space uh, make it work? Um, I think that experience and skill is really important. Um, I think we are surrounded by a generation of people who want things quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be insta famous. You want to be Kylie Jenner and Kim Kardashian, and unfortunately, it's just not how it works uh, in the real world for most of us. What what we don't know about Kim Kardashian, lover or hater, is that she works really hard. And she's worked hard at understanding marketing and how to build an audience. And she's acquired a skill. She's not just pretty and famous. She's not stupid. She's taken the time to learn stuff because pretty and pretty and stupid gets you only so far. Yeah. So my advice to young people in digital in any space is acquire the skill that you need to be the thing you want to be. If you want to be a writer, write. If you want to build businesses, start. If you want to code, go learn to code. You've got a phone that has internet access. You can learn how to code. Legitimately, there are apps that will teach you how to code. If you aren't doing those things, it's because you're lazy. It's it's not because you don't have the opportunity. I don't buy that. If you are somewhere that is impoverished, go to a library. When you're at school, take advantage of your schooling. Don't dick around. Don't miss school. You've got the opportunities, even if they're slight. The best people take those slight opportunities and explode them into really big ones. Sure, sure. So take take note of where you spend your time and learn the skills you need to build the business or be a designer or be a coder. That's my advice. Guys, that is Nick for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for, for, for coming Absolute through and, and, and hanging with us. And I mean, I've, I've learned a lot. Thank you. Um, I, I think um, our listeners are learning a lot as well. Uh, where can they purchase the book? Do, yes. Fail, Learn, Repeat. So the book is titled Do, Fail, Learn, Repeat. You can either buy it at my website, nickharalambus.com. You can just Google me if you, you can't find it or spell it right. You can buy it on Amazon. Just search for Do, Fail, Learn, Repeat. You can buy it at every exclusive books in the country and most big bookstores around the country. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram. And I talk about failure a lot. It's at Nick Harry. Um, and you can hit me up and DM me if, uh, if you've got any questions. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much Thank for this. Thank you for your time. It was awesome. No, I, I really enjoyed myself. Um, it was a very colorful interview. Awesome. <laughs> um, for, for everyone listening, uh, you know, uh, the, con- the conversation continues on at Simply Bongani. Ask any questions and we are more than happy to help you. We'll continue to bring you more 
absolutely, absolutely amazing, innovative, and robust um, guests. We did it with Siri. We're doing it with Nick, and we're going to still do it even more. Uh, but for today, um, from us at uh, YLP, it is good day and God bless. This is CliffCentral.com.